Negating attending worship service has never been the answer to any of life's problems. No matter what we're going through, worship to God must be an essential part of our lives. Hi, I'm Femi Asabin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. Today's sermon, Worship Leads to Resolution of Our Problems, taken from 2 Samuel 24, we will look at how Samuel's book ends with worship, starting with Hannah and ending with David, and how both those worship contexts were central to the resolution of the problems they were involved in at their respective times. We've come to the end of our study, our preaching series in the book of Samuel. We've come to the end of the story that this biblical narrative is depicting. And we see that where it ends is in where I would say is one of the greatest sins that David commits, but also the greatest depth of mercy that God demonstrates in response to that. What we see is that God is not so big that his people are insignificant to him. Samuel highlights this perfectly because where does this book of Samuel start? Samuel starts with the story of a barren wife who longs to have a child and ends with the king who is the ruler of his people and in all of this God is ever present and both of these stories highlight where David numbers the people in sin and where Hannah prays to God for a child that God no matter where the problem starts is the answer to whatever we're going through in life. And we've seen a lot happen through this book. We've seen a transition from a period of judges to a kingdom. We've seen what we're going to see demonstrated is the the location of the worship go from Shiloh to Jerusalem. We've seen the kingdom go from the tribe of Benjamin to the tribe of Judah. And in all of this, God has been faithful and presented the solution to everybody in this problem who's seeking a godly response. So, as David goes out and he's running from Saul, he has problems with Laban. What happens? God delivers him, and God deals with Laban. As Samuel is fleeing Saul and going to go anoint David as king, what happens? God provides for Samuel, and he gives him protection in this context. As Saul goes out and fights the Philistines, God provides victories. So those whom God has chosen, when they have depended on God, he has been faithful, he's come through, and he has provided. And not only has God provided on an individual level, God has provided for his whole people. So in these two situations that we're going to context our sermon in, but also which book ends this book of Samuel, which we have as first and second Samuel, we see that these are very 
personal problem. But their answers, the resolution by God, is a blessing for all people. Hannah, personal problem, I want a child. God gives her a child. Who is this child? Greatest judge, and he's also the king selector, which he selects Saul and, and David. A blessing for the nation, because you read about Samuel, and he was a blessing for God's people. David, he sins. He numbers the people. And God's punishment is spread out across all the people. But what God blesses all people is through the selection of Jerusalem, the site to where the temple will be, the place to where God is interactive with and intercedes for people on behalf of their sins. And relationship to him is strengthened. You see, sometimes our solutions, while they benefit us individually, can have a greater impact on the people of God. So what we want to do right now is we're going to read 2 Samuel 24 so we can put our text, this text in our minds. And when in reading it, I think it should give us a greater appreciation of the God that we serve. 2 Samuel 24. Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go, count the people of Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab and the commanders of the army who were with him, Go through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and take a census of the people so that I may know how many there are. But Joab said to the king, May the Lord your God increase the number of the people a hundredfold while the eyes of my lord the king can see it. But why does my lord the king want to do this? But the king's word prevailed against Joab and the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to take a census of the people of Israel. They crossed the Jordan and began from Aurora and from that city that is in the middle of the valley toward Gad and to Jezer. And they came to Gilead and to Kadesh. And in the land of the Hittites, and they came to Dan, and from Dan they went around to Sidon, and came to the fortress of Tyre, and to all the city of the Hivites and Canaanites. And they went out to the Negev of Judah at Beersheba. So when they had gone throughout all the land, they came back to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and twenty days. Joab reported to the king the number of those who had been recorded in Israel. There were 800,000 soldiers able to draw the sword, and those of Judah were 500,000. But afterward, David was stricken to his heart because he had numbered the people. David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now, O Lord, I pray you take away the guilt of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. When David rose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer saying, Go and say to David, Thus says the Lord, Three things I offer you. Choose one of them, and I will do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him. He asked him, Shall three years of famine come to you on your land, or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days pestilence in your land? Now consider and decide what answer I shall return to the one who sent me. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. 
but let me not fall into human hands. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from that morning until the appointed time, and 70,000 of the people died from Dan to Beersheba. But when the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented concerning the evil and said to the angel who was bringing destruction among the people, It is enough. Now stay your hand. The angel of the Lord was then by the threshing floor of Arona the Jebusite. And when David saw the angel who was destroying the people, he said to the Lord, I alone have sinned and I alone have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. That day, Gad came to David and said to him, Go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. Following Gad's instructions, David went up as the Lord had commanded. When Aruna looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming toward him. And Aruna went out and prostrated himself before the king with his face to the ground. Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, so that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Aruna said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering, and the threshing sledges, and the yoke of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Aruna gives to the king. And Aruna said to the king, May the Lord your God respond favorably to you. But the king said to Aruna, No, but I will buy them from you for a price. I will not offer offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and offerings of well-being. So the Lord answered his supplication for the land and the plague was averted from Israel. A recap. Something has gone on in Jerusalem that has caused God to be angry. And in his anger, Something happens that allows David, which the Bible says is incited by God, to number the people, which puts everybody in jeopardy. In doing this, David acknowledges that he was wrong. In that acknowledgement of his wrong, he repents to God. And God answers him and gives him a choice of punishment. David says, I will allow God to punish me and not man. And in that punishment, God sent a plague through the land. 70,000 people died. God tells Gad to tell David, in your repentance, I want you to build an altar at this place. And when David goes to build that altar, it's at the site of a foreigner, a ruler of the Jebusite. And that foreigner says, you can have this. And David, understanding that true worship to God, our sacrifices to God, must cost him something. 
So he says, I cannot offer up to God what costs me nothing and purchases everything he needs from Aruna to render to God the worship, the sacrifice that he desires. And in doing such, the plague is averted. But what we also have is this is the site that the temple will be built upon. So what we have actually witnessed is something is going wrong in Jerusalem. And the solution to that problem, God finds the location to worship him. It's a beautiful story, actually. And it leaves us with a lot of questions that the Bible just takes for granted that it doesn't answer. As to why was God angry with these people? What was wrong with the senses that David took? What was going on that God incited David? Was this a temptation that God gives David? And the Bible doesn't even offer any inside explanation. It just takes it as such. And we see that sometimes the things that we deal with, that we go through, we have no answer for, no explanation. We just know that we're in the middle of the situation. And then you think about the 70,000 people who died as a result of this plague. The Bible doesn't focus on them, but just think. All those families impacted by the sin of David. Leadership puts his whole people in peril. And dare I say, unless they have the biblical narrative, they do not know what's going on except for that there's a plague in the land and a lot of people have died. And at some point they recognize that we have a new worship center on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite, which will later become the site of the temple in the days of Solomon. There's a lot of questions surrounding this text, and the true answer is God. But that's just how the book starts. Why was Hannah barren? Why was Elkanah, her husband, allowing for Paniah, Hannah's co-wife, to ridicule her? We don't know. The Bible doesn't answer. It doesn't even suggest a reason. But what it shows is that her answer is found in God. And what's interesting in both of these texts, it's at worship to where the resolution is made. So with Hannah, when she goes down for the yearly sacrifice, it's where she goes in front of Eli and offers up her sacrifices and he sees her at the temple and he's saying, woman, how long will you be drunk? I'm praying to God in the earnesty of my heart. And he says, may the Lord give you what you ask for. As David recognizes his sin and he repents of it and then he, he, he's praying about it and then God comes to him and says, God says go build this altar for the purpose of worship. And it's in this worship to where the plague is averted. 
You see, no matter what's going on in the lives of God's people, no matter where the problem starts, the answer is always found in God, and the answer contains some elements of worship. Hannah. A lot of people would have said, ah, oh, she would have been justified because she was feeling sorry about herself. She might have been depressed. She was going added with this lady who lived with her who also probably was going to the same place of worship as her. She should have just stayed home to avoid all of those problems to have some peace. But no, the Bible says she goes to worship and she takes her problems to the worship center and leaves them there and there her answer is found. With David, he numbers the people, he recognizes his sin, and some people would think that, you know what, it's big enough of David to acknowledge that he sinned and that he can't do nothing about it and God has already rendered the judgment. So the best thing that David could do is just acknowledge the sin and let that be that and just hope that God will do something. But no, David, in his understanding of the depth of his sin, he prays that God does something. And in that response, is when God tells him, God says, go and build a worship center for me. And David must go and worship, even in his penitent heart, even in the midst of this pledge of going on, that David must render unto God what God wants, which is worship to him. And David understands that the appropriate punishment for what he has done would be for God to enact it. I don't want to fall into the hands of the enemy and have war for three months. I don't want to have to to worry about this famine for three years because that would also in some context put me at the mercy of people who I have to trade with. I want God to be in control of this whole context. So let me fall into the hands of God and what God does is he sends a pestilence, a plague, some type of punishment that says three days lasted, that killed 70,000 people. And some will say, that's, that's, that's unfair. All David did was number the people, and it cost 70,000 people's lives. That just goes to show us. <clears throat> that the impact of sin is greater than we ever anticipate. And so we can't take for granted the little things that we do before God, understanding that they're wrong. David was thoroughly warned. David even recognized the error of his ways after he had done it, and yet God still made him suffer for it. And this shows us the kind of worship that God is seeking. People who in their integrity and their earnesty do not allow the situations of life to keep them from worship. Hannah goes down to worship God earnestly, honestly, seeking an answer from God. And the bitterness of her heart, she brings the problems that she's facing to God. David, in a repentant manner, 
build his altar and is willing to go through whatever God has him go through and he doesn't stop worshiping. And dare I say, those 70,000 families, people impacted by the plague, they didn't stop worshiping either. And so we see that in all contexts, God is calling us to worship him, but he's calling us to worship him with everything that's going on in life. Whether we have control or whether we have instigated some situation to where we are at a guilty distance from God. You see, God's not putting obstacles in our way of relationship with him just for the sake of us falling out. God knows that life is going on. God knows that we have problems. God knows that he has sins. But what God still wants is for us to come and worship him. Why does God want us to worship? Because one, he knows that no matter what we're going through, he's there for us. He has our best intentions at heart. Hannah, no, you cannot have a child until I'm ready. But when that child is born, what's really going to happen is he's going to be one of the best judges of this nation. And he's going to be the person that I utilize to select the king, David. I know that you sinned, but I still want you to worship me. And when you worship me, even in the depth of this sin that you committed that caused the death of 70,000 people, what I will provide for you because you were repentant and you really turned away from your sins and sought me, I will provide the place to where people will come and worship me and that my presence will be established on this earth and I will be sought. And people will know that there is a God in this world because I reside in Jerusalem where I show grace when you sin. You see, God's bigger than all the problems that we are facing, no matter what the source of that problem is. And we cannot ever forget that because what we do, what it would cause us to do is not to render unto God the worship that he so desires. You see, David and Hannah, they start from different places with what they're going through, but they both end up at the same place in their solution. Worship to God. And that's very important because we're in a context now to where God is not people's answer. God's not even in people's thought when they're going through problems in the world. We look for other things as the solution to the things that God can fix. And so no matter where we start off, if it's a problem with finances, if it's a problem with society, if it's a problem with our sin, the answer is the same. And we still are required to worship God. And it's not more pertinent than a day like today to where we have a pestilence going through the world 
And while we speculate on we know the cause of it, the world is saying the answers are in everything except for God. And the number of people who profess to have faith in God have actually said, I will not go worship today because I am fearful of what's going on in the world right now. And what God is saying is that you worship me no matter what problems you're going through, even if the cause of that problem is somebody else, as it was with David and numbering the people, I will provide your resolution. I will be found at the site where I have put my name. I have the answer to what you're going through. I just want you to come to me in faith and leave your problems. And God will hear what you're going through and he will respond appropriately. Because while David and Hannah both started off in different places with the location of their problem, Hannah hers was being barren, David his was his sin. What they both did was they got to God in faith and they left their problems with God. Hannah, she goes and prays before God for a child and she leaves knowing that that prayer was rendered to God and God will answer her and she isn't double-minded. David, he beseeches God and understands that he has sinned and that, that he needs to, to repent and he does that and he leaves that with God and he does what God tells him to do. And he's even so understanding of his repentance that he says, God, why are you punishing these people let the blame be on me and my household. He's not trying to escape any of the wrath of God because he knows the depth of his sin. And when we approach God with that understanding and we still worship, we put ourselves in a context to receive the blessing that God is really trying to give us. For Hannah, it was a child which she receives. Earlier in 2 Samuel, around the 7th chapter, we see that what David wanted to do was build God a house, and he doesn't get to build it, but what he does do is to select the place where it's going to be. What he does do is he collects all of these resources, which is clearly evident when you read Second and First Chronicles. He collects all these resources for the building of that site. So while he can't actually build God a house and see the house that God has said will be built for him, what he does get to do is participate in the honoring of God by having a located place to worship. And that's only because David never negated the worship that God wanted in the first place. And that's like us. We'll never see heaven while we're on this earth. But we understand that our worship speaks volumes to our eternal existence in the presence of God. And that if we allow things to keep us from worshiping God where we can, we will never get the blessings we seek and we won't be able to worship him where he is. 
And so, I just want to put on our hearts and our minds. It's a lot of trouble in the world right now. It's a lot of trouble in our lives individually. We're dealing with sickness. We're dealing with an economic system in this world that's unfair. We're dealing with a pandemic coming across this nation that's causing people to wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. We're dealing with problems in our personal lives. Some of these things are a result of our actions. Other of these things are beyond us, and we don't even know why we're going through what we're going through. But we do know that we have an answer which is found in God. And we do know we have a God who wants us to worship him because he's told us and also worship is one of the places into where we come into contact with God. And when we worship, we can truly bring our problems to God and leave them with him in faith. Because no matter if we're like Hannah and we feel we may appear to others as insignificant, we're somebody in God's eyes. Or we're like David, to where we did something that we feel is so bad that we're beyond reproach, we're beyond salvation, we're somebody in God's eyes. And that nothing should keep us from worshiping God. We should approach Him in faith. When we sin, we should repent in sincerity. And when we come to worship, we should not offer up to God something that costs us nothing. Why? Because the salvation that God has afforded us, he gave the best of heaven so that we can be free from the sin that keeps us from God. And so, we should continue to give God our best. We should continue to build relationship with God. And we should continue to worship no matter what is going on in this world. Because if we stop worshiping here, we're really negating the eternal worship that we'll have in heaven. And we don't want to lose that for some temporary problems. Because God's the answer to whatever we're going through. We just have to seek him through it. We've concluded Samuel. We see that God has moved this place of worship from Shiloh to Jerusalem. He's moved this leadership of his people from a judge to a king. And we got the best example of both of those coming together and showing the depth of God's mercy for his people and selecting the site of the worship where people needed it the most when we sin the deepest. So, let's not let any of this noise in the world keep us from God. Let's be who he called us to be. We read in James 5 that in our relationships with each other, we're supposed to be open about the sins and struggles we go through. And in our prayers of faith, God will hear, he'll restore people to health, and he will restore them of their sin. 
if we really have faith in the God that can do that, there should be nothing that keeps us from giving God the worship that he asked for. And it's hard times. Let's deepen our relationships with fellow brothers and sisters. So that if somebody does get sick, if somebody is ailing, we would know about it, not just so that we can have information, but so that we can pray to God on their behalf. And when we pray in faith, he will hear it. So that they can continue to be a part of the worship that God wants. I'm not sure where that leaves anybody in this room. But I was hoping to encourage us to continue to worship God, no matter what the world says, no matter what's going on. And yeah, we're going to be smart. If somebody gets sick, you don't come. There were stipulations in the Bible that says when you're unclean, you quarantine yourself and you stay away for a number of days. There was even a... Uh, a, a, a stipulation for Passover. If you can't make the first Passover, there's another Passover. So God is not unaware of the fact that there will be times for valid reasons that people cannot come worship. But he's also in control of all of this so that no matter what happens, nothing should keep us from worship. So I plan to be here until God says no. And if perchance the government says I can't cross state lines, I plan to worship God on Sunday. And I hope we all do. Because the government's not in control of our salvation. The news media is not in control of faith. It can impact it by telling bad stories, by giving information that causes us to doubt. But ultimately, our faith is based upon what we put into God and the depth of our relationship with him and what we understand him to be. And he is a God that is in control. So no matter what we go through, let's not stop worshiping God. So if they say we can't come cross state lines, if they say that we can't come, leave your city, we'll find a way to make worship happen here and I pray that y'all will be able to get somewhere close but me and my family will be worshiping God's people will be worshiping we're not going to shut the doors because we're scared of what's going on in the world because when we shut the doors and close access to worship of God we shorten the blessings that God has for us and we don't ever want to do that so Let's continue to seek God first in our lives because he is still looking out for us, even if we don't realize it. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. 
You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.